You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. At least that's according to John Bon Jovi. Uh, He wrote a song called The More Things Change. I don't know if you know it, but this is how it goes. I won't sing it, don't worry. (laughs) The more things change, the more they stay the same. Ah, is it just me or does anybody see the new improved tomorrow isn't what it used to be? Yesterday keeps coming round, it's just reality. It's the same damn song with a different melody. The market keeps on crashing. Tattered jeans are back in fashion. Instead of records, now it's MP3s. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And he's got a point, doesn't he? When you look around at the world around us, it looks like a whole lot of big things are changing. There's big changes happening. But underneath it all, in reality, nothing important has really changed at all. And that's what we're going to see today in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 is almost a carbon copy of chapter 3. But in the time between chapter 3 and chapter 6, a whole lot has changed. For instance, one thing that's changed since chapter 3 is that a whole bunch of time has passed. This is almost 60 years later in history. And so, like Al said, Daniel is no, uh, no longer a young man. He's now an octogenarian. Do you know what that means? Yeah, that means in chapter 6, Daniel is an old man in his 80s. Now, another thing that's changed since chapter 3 is that there's a new king, a guy called Darius. But not only is there a new king, there's a whole new kingdom. Do you remember this from chapter 5 last week? Have a look back with me at chapter 5 in verse 30. Chapter 5 ended by saying, That very night... Belshazzar, the king of the uh, Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom. So that's another huge change that's happened since chapter 3. The Babylonian kingdom is gone now and the Medes and the Persians are in charge. Now, new king, new kingdom, that also means there's a whole new way of doing things. And that's how our chapter starts today, by kind of describing what things are like in this new kingdom. So have a look at chapter 6 and verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. So one of the first things that King Darius does in his new kingdom is to set up a new system of government. And in the new Persian government, Daniel is given a really important and really powerful position, which is actually another huge change that has happened in the last few chapters. Because remember, back at the start of the book, Daniel and his friends were young men at the bottom of the food chain. Now, as an old man, Daniel is basically the second in charge of the whole kingdom. He's Darius's right-hand man. Look with me again at verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So you see, an incredible amount has changed since chapter 3. But the more things change, the more they stay the same. Despite all those changes on the surface, underneath it all, things haven't really changed at all. Kings have come and gone, kingdoms have come and gone, but God is still in charge of it all. And just like he did back in chapter 3, here in chapter 6, 
God rescues and he delivers. That hasn't changed. And so it is still worth standing firm with him. It is still worth serving him continually. And that was a really, really important thing for Daniel to be reminded of. Because the other thing that hasn't changed since chapter 3 is that there are still those who oppose God and want to harm his people. And that's how our chapter really continues on this morning. The satraps and the other administrators become jealous and so they come up with a plot to get rid of Daniel. Let's pick it up from verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Now, that's a great assessment of Daniel, isn't it? These guys are trying to find something wrong with Daniel's work so they can get him fired, but all they can, in the end, all they discover is that he's good at his job and he's trustworthy. Now, wouldn't it be good if people said that about us in our jobs? Eventually, these guys, though, they realise that they're not going to find any dirt on Daniel. Look at verse 5. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they figure out the only way they're going to get Daniel is if they can somehow use his devotion to God against him. Now, remember back in chapter 3... Nebuchadnezzar made that big statue and he said everyone had to bow down and worship it. These guys come up with a really similar plan. Look at verse 6. The administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And then verse 9, King Darius put the decree in writing. So you see, different decade, different king, different kingdom, same problem. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Back in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had to decide whether to bow down and worship the king, uh, the statue, or whether to stand firm with God. And Daniel here is in basically the same situation. On the one hand is the king he can see, King Darius, who has just written a decree commanding that Daniel can only bow down and pray to him, and if he disobeys, he'll be thrown to the lions. But on the other hand, Daniel knows that it's only right to pray to God. And as well as that are passages like 1 Kings 8. The references in the outline there. 1 Kings 8, 46 to 51. It'd be great to go and read that for yourself later on. But in 1 Kings 8 and other passages like it, it says that when God's people have been taken captive and when they find themselves taken away to a foreign land and if they turn back to God, if they repent and turn back to God and if they, they look towards the land and if they look towards Jerusalem and if they pray to God and ask him for help, he will hear and he will help them. And so Daniel here, he's got a choice. He can bow down to the king, to Darius, he can pray to him and he can save himself from the lions or he can stand firm with God. He can stay loyal to God. He can trust God. He can keep serving God. He can pray to God and ask him for help. So what will he do? 
What do you reckon you'd do? Like if you were an 80-something-year-old person and you were faced with a choice like that, it'd be a hard call, I reckon. Well, here's what Daniel does. He prays to his God just like he'd done before. Look with me at verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. See that? Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So back in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they refused to bow down and they stood firm with God. Now, 60 odd years later, Daniel does the same thing. He refuses to bow to King Darius, he continues to serve his God, and he prays to him. Now, back in chapter 3, when the satraps and the prefects and the governors saw that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego weren't bowing down, remember what they did? They ran off to dob on them and to tell the king. Different kingdom, different king, same reaction. Verse 11. These men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Well, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. So the more things change, the more they stay the same, don't they? In chapter 3 and here, God's people are challenged. In both chapters, they stand firm. In both chapters, they continue to serve God. In both chapters, that puts them at odds with the people around them. But, you know, as much as this is kind of feeling like a rerun of chapter 3, there is at least one interesting difference between what happens in chapter 3 and what happens here. Do you remember how King Nebuchadnezzar responded when he heard that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego wouldn't bow down to the statue? He flew into a furious rage, didn't he? He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. He commanded the strongest soldiers in the army to come and tie up the three guys and to chuck them into the fire. Well, have a look at how King Darius reacts here. Verse 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Now that's a big difference from what happened back in chapter 3, isn't it? Unlike Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Daniel has the king on his side. But actually, in the end, it makes no difference. In verse 15, we're told that not even the king can change the law of the Medes and the Persians. And so even though King Darius is determined to rescue Daniel, he's powerless to do anything. And so just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were chucked in the furnace, Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. Verse 16. The king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. See, Darius knows he couldn't rescue Daniel and now he's hoping that God can a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles 
so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Now, like Darius said there, Daniel has served God faithfully. He stood firm. He didn't compromise. He didn't bow down to the king. But even though Daniel has been faithful to God, and even though he's got the king on his side, and even though the king did everything in his power to rescue him, Daniel, who is 80-something years old, has still been thrown into a pit full of lions and he's had the door sealed shut behind him. It seems a hopeless situation, doesn't it? But of course, remember, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Back in chapter 3, God rescued Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego from the furnace. And so guess what? Here in chapter 6, God rescues Daniel from the power of the lions. What King Darius was powerless to do, the living God does. Let's pick it up from verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. So, like we started off by thinking about, an incredible amount has changed between these two chapters. Back in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were young guys at the bottom of the food chain. Now here's Daniel, an 80-year-old man, one of the most powerful people in the kingdom. It almost couldn't be more different. And yet despite everything that's different, despite all that has changed, what Daniel discovers here, it is pretty much exactly what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego discovered all those years ago. What Daniel discovered is that despite enormous pressure to give in, and to fit in with the people around him, and to give up on God, and to bow down to the king, despite all that pressure, what Daniel discovered when he stood with, when he continued to serve God, what he discovered is that God stood with him and he rescued him. Now, here's another interesting thing that stayed the same between these two chapters. Back in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, remember the king of the Babylonian Empire, what he learnt back in chapter 3 was that the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego is incredibly powerful and that he is able to save in a way that no other gods can. Well, here in chapter 6, there's a new king, Darius. There's a new kingdom, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. A lot has changed. But look at what King Darius learns at the end of this chapter. Verse 25. King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel because he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. And get this, he rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Despite all that has changed on the surface, underneath it all, in reality, nothing important has changed at all. God is still in control. He is still the living God. He is still the king of all kings. His kingdom will never be destroyed and he still rescues and he still saves. The more things change, the more they stay the same. 
Now, can you imagine how encouraging it must have been for Daniel to be reminded of that? Here he is, an 80-something-year-old man, near the end of his life. He's been in exile in a foreign country for more than 60 years. He started from nothing, and he's now one of the most powerful people in the kingdom. He served three Babylonian kings, and now there's a new king, Darius the Mede. So much has changed. But through it all, what hasn't changed, and what has never been in doubt, is that God is in control and he's powerful and he rescues and he saves and so it is always, always worth standing firm with him. And you know, if that was encouraging for Daniel, it ought to be just as encouraging for us because if a lot had changed between Daniel 3 and Daniel 6, how much more has changed between Daniel 6 and today? So much more has changed. But the more things change, the more they stay the same. In chapter 3, God sent an angel to rescue Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego from the furnace. Sixty years later, in chapter 6, God sent an angel to rescue Daniel from the power of the lions. 560 years later, God sent his son, Jesus, to rescue us from the power of sin and death and the devil. And now that Jesus has come, and now that he's died, and now that he's risen from the dead, we live in a whole brand new era. The entire Old Testament has now been fulfilled. We have God's spirit now. We live in an age of forgiveness, a time of new life, a time when all the nations, not just Israel, can come to God. So much has changed. But the more things change, the more they stay the same. Our world is still full of people who are opposed to God. And it is still really, really hard to make a stand for him as his people. But of course, God is also still in control. God is still the King of Kings. God still rescues, friends. God still saves, and it is still worth standing firm with God and serving Him. And so, look, if you're here today and you're a teenager, then let me say this the book of Daniel is especially relevant for you. Because when the book starts, Daniel and his friends are teenagers. And the picture we get at the start of the book in the opening few chapters is the faith of a 15-year-old. And you guys are at a critical point in your life, right? Right at the edge of adulthood. You're at the start, the beginning, stage one of your process, making major decisions for the rest of your life. Decisions like what you're going to study, what work you're going to do, maybe who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And I want to say to you now, don't waste this moment. Don't ignore what we've seen in Daniel 6. Don't be distracted by what has changed. Remember what hasn't changed and what will never change. That God is in control and no one but no one can rescue like him. And so choose now to bow to the living God. Like Daniel, resolve here and now to live for God and to serve him continually because it is always worth it. And you will never regret choosing God sooner rather than later. Because what we've seen today is that he is the one true and living God. And he is in control and he rescues and he delivers. But hey, you might be here today and you're not a teenager. In fact, it might have been a really, really long time since you were a teenager. And if that's you, then I want to say to you, 
the book of Daniel is especially relevant for you as well. Because the more things change, the more they stay the same. And so whether you're 15 or whether you're 85, whether you're in the school playground or whether you're in the doctor's waiting room, whether you're at the bottom of the food chain in your first job or whether you're the head of the company, it makes no difference. Because despite all those changes on the surface, underneath it all, what is really truly important hasn't changed at all. God is still in control. He is still the true king and it still makes complete sense to serve him. And so please, whatever you do, don't make excuses about your age, whether you're 15 or whether you're 85. Please do not let your age stop you from serving God continually. Back in chapter 3, we saw a bunch of teenagers standing firm for God. Really, really encouraging. Here in chapter 6, we have seen an 80-something-year-old man standing firm with God. Also really, really encouraging. And you know, no matter what changes about you, no matter what changes in your life, God doesn't change. So don't make excuses about your age. You've made your call, haven't you? You've decided to live for God and follow Jesus, so friends, stand by it. Keep going. Serve God continually. And yes, that will probably be hard work. And yes, it may well be harder work the older you get, but it will most definitely be worth it. Because what we have been reminded yet again in Daniel 6 is that our God is the living God. And his kingdom will never be destroyed. And he rescues And he saves in a way that no one else possibly can because he is in complete control. And so it makes the most sense in the world to continue to serve him. Let me pray for us that we do that. Let's pray. Our great God and loving Heavenly Father, we're really, really thankful for what we've been reminded of yet again here in Daniel that you are in control and that you rescue and that you save because you are the living God. And so we pray that wherever we're at in our lives, that we would remember that despite the things that are changing around us and the things that will change, that you don't change. Help us to remember that no matter what happens in our life and And no matter how much things seem out of control, you you are in control. And so like Daniel, help us please to resolve to continue to serve you, to stand firm with you. Especially now that we know that Jesus has died and risen from the dead, and so he is already victorious. He's already won the victory, and so we, we can have way more confidence even than Daniel to stand with you. And so please strengthen us that we might continue to serve you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.